If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. The editing has taken me so much longer, but anyway, uh, I can now talk directly into the recorder, which goes straight into Adobe. I'm very, very excited. For anyone else who's a podcaster listening, I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so today, very special episode, I have my bestest best friend on the show, Catherine Zaharias. You just heard from her in that little podcast trailer there. And we're talking like all things brand. Uh, we talk paid advertising. We talk brand building exercises. We talk, as you would have heard in the introduction, about like media and endorsements and partnerships and I think probably the thing I found most interesting about this chat was we also talked about, you know, sort of like the similarities and differences between marketing as a large and recognized brand and marketing as a entrepreneur with a startup. And also some of the, the advantages of being an entrepreneur, you know, uh, one thing that I really love and Catherine brings this up in the chat is like, I can just decide to invest money in a marketing initiative. You know, I'm just like, I want to test this out. I'm going to try this Uh, where, you know, you you can't do that with a big brand. You've got a budget and you've got to justify the budget. So like I don't have to justify sponsoring this podcast as my business. I'm just like, yeah, well, I believe in my podcast, so I get to do that, (laughs) which is kind of good. And actually, speaking of which, one thing I have decided to invest a little bit of time and attention and uh, budget into is uh, putting together some articles and some like proper, proper transcripts of the shows. So uh, I used to do transcripts when it was just like me reading out a 10 minute show in season one. Uh, And if you've listened since season one, you'll know what I'm talking about. And then I, more and more interviews creeped in and then I, you know, sometimes did transcripts and sometimes didn't. But, you know, I, I think it's so valuable to have the transcripts. I know for me, I really like to be able to scan through and look at what's actually being talked about and like, is this something I'd be interested in? And um, so I think it's really, really useful to have. It also makes things easier to find online and stuff like that. Uh, but also the long form content. So if you like to read things and digest information in different ways, that's going to be available uh, very soon. Or if you know other people who are like, they're never going to listen to a podcast, uh, but you think it'll be really valuable content for them, you're going to be able to share those articles with them as well. So as soon as they're up, I'll let you guys know. But uh, for now, let's get on to today's episode. Uh, If you like this show and you haven't subscribed already, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And uh, please do share this with your friends. Like I always say, really, really helps uh, grow the podcast. Uh, and also if you do like the kind of content that I create, you might also want to check out my YouTube channel, which does have a little bit of a different mix of content. There are uh, podcast shows and stuff on that as well. Uh, but I do other things on there. So, uh, if you like what I'm about and you like what I talk about, feel free, uh, to go check that out. Uh, just go to, uh, youtube.com slash C slash Lauren Cress or head over to my website, laurencress.com. All right, enough about me. Let's do this. This is an awesome show. You guys are going to love it. Uh, hope you're well and I'll speak to you soon. Today, I'm very excited. I'm a little bit nervous because I'm doing something a bit different. I'm interviewing my bestest best friend, who is also an amazing marketer, Catherine Zaharias. 
Kat, can you start off by sharing a little bit about you and what you do? Of course. So hello, um, I am Kat. I have been working in the media industry coming up to 11 years, um, which is mind blowing. Uh, in, in my career, I've always worked in kind of a marketing position. And um, some of my experience has been in media buying agencies. Um, I worked in uh, publishing and niche magazines for a while. So I was working across mastheads like um, Ad News and Rag Trader on the B2B side, um, and also uh, some consumer mags that ranged or covered like a range of topics from fishing to hunting to beauty and dance. Um, I did a brief stint at a marketing agency. And then for the last six and a half years, uh, I've been working at Nickelodeon Australia. So um, I look after marketing and communications there uh, for the Australia and New Zealand brand um, and kind of everything that comes with it. And I think, you know, I'm a very passionate brand marketer. Um, I'm probably not the most analytical marketer, um, but I love brands and I have passion for them. And um, kind of in every job and role that I've had, I've been very, very fortunate um, with the, the breadth of brands I've been able to work across. Um, I've learned a lot and it's, um, you know, when you are working on a brand and there's, uh, you know, lots of fandom around the brand, it's a very exciting place to be. So um, that's me. <laughs> You've got like such an impressive background. And you know what scared me though, when you started talking was you're like, I've been doing this for 11 years. And I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, we're the same age. So like, we're old enough to be like having done something for 11 years. <laughs> yeah, changed in 11 years. Like, let me tell you when, you know, the industry, the media industry that I walked into is very different to the industry that we're working in now. And, um, you know, the, the when I entered the magazine world, it was like at the um, kind of evolution of digital. And then when I entered the TV world, it was the introduction of like social media. So, um, you know, now we're looking at God, all sorts of um, ways to consume content and media. So it's a very different industry and it makes the 11 years feel a lot longer. <laughs> Yo, this is the thing, right? I mean, I've spoken to a few guests and maybe some people watching might re remember this as well from the past couple of weeks about like, you know, the rise of experiential marketing, which has obviously now taken a massive hit as an industry that was previously like booming um, within the marketing space. Uh, like you said, like new media and the new meat, the types of new media that like have kind of come about as well. So it was like, first it was kind of like, okay, within you know, you and I both obviously worked in sort of trade publishing and, well, I think people know that. <laughs> you said you did it. I don't know if people know that about me. But, you know, kind of seeing what happened there in terms of like bringing in content marketing and sponsored content within sort of quote-unquote traditional media and then seeing everything that branched out of that. So it has been this incredibly like sort of like almost tumultuous time, but I think it's also been exciting like what do you think have you kind of enjoyed seeing the evolution of marketing over the past decade I think it's a double-edged sword I think it's been very exciting and I always feel excited particularly in tv and, and in kids tv at the moment they're kind of at the forefront right kids are early adopters of new trends they and they they are trendsetters um, believe it or not so it's always exciting because you don't know where you're going to go next. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's exciting to be part of that, right? Like you're always moving and adapting and, and being challenged. 
the flip side is that like what we learned at university and the application of that skill is like long gone. So <laughs> and, and it's intimidating because you've always got people coming up through um, university in the ranks entering business that have, you know, a better understanding of digital or social media or, or content or that they're, they're, you know, um, I don't know, they're more across the way the media landscape works now than perhaps what we think we are. So um, it's also challenging to yourself, um, to your self-esteem as a marketer because you're like, God, oh, there's so much to learn. And like, I don't understand, you know, programmatic. Like, I do not understand what that is, you know. So it's good. Um, it's bittersweet. It's very exciting to be on the forefront, but it's also um, demanding. Uh, you know, it's important to keep up your skill set. It's important to go back and refresh Thing, even things that seem basic, go back and revisit them because um, it's changed so much, you know. And I think, but I, I do think um, the benefit of an old timer like myself is that you've got the foundation um, because what I see a lot of actually, particularly with the rise of LinkedIn and social media, um, I see a lot of misconception around marketing. And, you know, I think there's this sense that marketing is just easy and it's about having a viral social campaign, right? And, you know, I came from magazines. That was my first job and I'll always be um, a fan of print. But when I hear someone say something like print's dead, or TV's dead or traditional marketing's dead, you know, I just think you're so uninformed. And I think the benefit of having the kind of foundations of, of knowledge around traditional marketing and adapting to today, um, that's a, an advantage for old timers. So... Yeah, but it's it's um it's an interesting industry to be part of. It's very particularly the media industry. You know, when you said um about the thing about print being dead and that not being true, we got a love heart straight away. So if that person's still listening and it was because of what Kat said, please like write your comments. And anyone obviously listening throughout this, ask your questions as well as we're going. We love people being part of the discussion. Sort of the main thing we're gonna talk about today is around, you know, this this sort of long-term, short-term game that we're playing for brand growth. And Kat and I have had a number of discussions about the fact that mm -hmm. a lot of brands will focus on short-term game. Uh, they'll focus on short-term term gain as well. And they won't focus on the bigger picture, which sort of means they're constantly chasing their tails, having to play these sort mm -hmm. of short-term strategies that, you know, don't help them bring, uh, win brand equity in the long run. But before we talk about that, Kat, I want to ask you more about what we were just talking about. So in terms of, you know, marketing changing, in terms of people coming up through the ranks, uh, in terms of marketing not being easy, I've had quite a few people on the show say that, you know, marketing isn't easy. Can you explain a little bit about, because I think sometimes we say marketing, it's almost like saying business, like it is such a big area it is so diverse how do you th see things in terms of like the different roles within marketing like you know you mentioned the analytical marketer and the brand marketer how do you kind of see those things you know separating out I guess I think the first the most um kind of prolific thing for me is understanding first and foremost that marketing and business are separate especially if you're in, I mean, it probably applies to a startup and a corporation, but marketing and business are two separate things. So it's really important that if you are a marketer, you understand what your function is. Um, it's easy to get swayed into like, oh, you need to drive sales or you need to do this. And depending on the business, that could be your objective. But 
Um, if you're trying to grow your brand or um, if that's more of your focus or if you're trying to build audience and awareness, that has to come first because that's your way of contributing to business. So first and foremost, marketing and business are separate things. Marketing is a business function, but um, it's not business. And I think that's something I've learned because, um, you know, you kind of get exposed to the C-suite execs and you get very confused. Like, why don't I understand that? Oh, because that's not my job. So that's what I'm interested for. I have that thought a lot. Um, <laughs> then within marketing, um, so I look after marketing and publicity at uh, Nickelodeon and a little bit of social media. And I always find it interesting because when people talk to me, they always talk about marketing and publicity as separate things, right? So publicity to me is a tactic of marketing. Marketing is about growing your brand. It's about, you know, growing your product, um, building awareness of what you're doing, um, building love for your brand, building fans. Um, it's about acquiring new audience. It's about holding on to new audience. It's about giving great experiences to your audience. And it's about um, listening to your audience, being in touch with them and understanding your audience. And when it comes down to the type of marketer that you are, I think it really, um, the, the company or the product or the brand that you work for um, really says a lot about the kind of marketer you are, right? So I work for one of the most, arguably the most creative companies in the world, Nickelodeon, and it's a, a creative brand. And I'm a very creative marketer. I'm able to, and creative in the sense that I'm creative with the way I solve a problem. I'm creative with writing. And then in terms of creative execution, um, I, I feel very comfortable in that space. Yes, data and research is very much a part of what we do, um, but I always find myself erring on the side of creative. Um, there are other marketers that, and, and marketing is an analytical function. You know, it's very important to be led by data and driven by data and insights. But there are people, some marketers that only play in that space. And, you know, maybe it's, I'm biased because of the way I am, but sometimes when a marketer is too deep in the insights, they're not in touch with reality. So it's about finding a balance as a marketer between the data and the, the execution, communication. Um, in terms of tactic, like when you look at marketing tactically, publicity, that's to me, that's a tactic of marketing. You want to grow awareness of your brand, you typically engage in marketing tactics. Social media, that social media is a marketing tactic or a, a tactic of marketing. If you want to amplify your brand, if you want to grow awareness, if you want to... Now at Mickey D's, when you buy any crispy chicken sandwich or quarter pounder with cheese, you'll get a free medium fry and free medium drink when you order on the app. So do you have the app? How are you going to get this deal if you don't have the app? I know you have a phone. Anywho, if you have the app, enjoy your free fries and drink. If you don't, you can't see me. But know that I'm shaking my head. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Limited time only. I participate in McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Drive views of a video. Social media is the, the kind of vehicle that allows you to do that. So I think... Um, there's definitely different types of marketers. Not anyone is is better than the other, but it's about how you work to your strengths, I think. Um, but it's it's also important to consider your role and your function in the business. Um, and I guess the other thing that the type of marketer you are depends upon is in your business, the orientation of your business. Is it a market-oriented business? Is it product-oriented? For me, um, you know, if I was to work in a product-oriented business, I'd be a very different type of marketer because that's all about 
transaction and um, driving product sales versus working for a brand like Nickelodeon. It's very market oriented. We are kids first. That's our, our ethos. We're kids first. Um, so we're led by the audience and that allows me to be a creative marketer. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. Feel free to re-ask re it if it doesn't. <laughs> Um, I do think it's important to distinguish between, um, you know, marketing strategy, uh, i.e. awareness, your growing awareness and affinity of your brand, and then tactics, social media, publicity. Um. No, I think it's a really, a really, really good point. And I think you answered the question perfectly. I think you answered exactly what I was asking about, which is like, I mean, it's sort of to highlight as well, because a lot of people in my network run their own business, right? And I think that what I see a lot of in the small business space, which I know is, is different to, I know you've worked in, you know, small businesses and stuff, but like a big brand like Nickelodeon is a bit different, but there still is this kind of like need for any business to understand these different functions within marketing, mm -hmm. even if you're, even if you're one person really, because if you're hiring someone or you're, uh, you know, you're getting a consultant in to help with marketing and you want them to do the creative, the graphic design, the copywriting, the analytics, the website creation, like a lot of, you know, business owners have that expectation. And I think understandably, because if it's like your focus on the business, it's kind of like marketing is marketing. But like, mm -hmm. I think when you're in marketing, it's like, you know, that the way someone's brain works from an analytical perspective and getting those insights and being in the data is very different to someone who's like brand building. And it's also very different to someone who's managing a product, like you said, who might be thinking more about point of sale and what happens at, at that trans, you know, place of transaction. So no, no, I think you, oh, sorry. Yeah, you go. I, I also think, um, look, it happens in big business as well, because, um, yes, you know, big companies like Nickelodeon have more resources available, but the demands, the consumer demands and the diversification of those demands is still, it still um, impacts us as well. So you are seeing what once was um, my role was to place ads in different media outlets is now like the biggest change for me has certainly been the shift into content marketing, which is, you know, for me, that's great because I love, I love to create content and and that works for me but um a lot of a lot of marketers didn't enter market marketing to be in a content creation role but we're seeing this rise of content marketing and the impact of content marketing and that's really different right and but with that comes not just that, that firstly there's a misunderstanding around what content marketing is versus content so, you know, and there's a lot of confusion around what that is. And so what happens is you see people like me who, um, you know, I like to work on content and, and tell stories and, and um, you know, look at the content funnel and how we're moving audience through. But then you'll see um, requests start to come through for content that's got nothing to do with marketing. Or you'll see people misuse um, content marketing when in, in a different context that's not really related to what we do. So then everybody else is doing content marketing and we're not. So, I mean, it's hard to articulate, but we're definitely expected to do more as, as marketers, even in big businesses. Um, but look, if you're a small business owner, like it's, that's, I think that's super impressive. First and foremost, I'd just like to say that, like, I, I feel so intimidated by people who own their own businesses. Um, <laughs> we'll get back to the interview in just a minute, but first a quick message from our sponsors, the Changemakers Collective. 
The Changemakers Collective is a science-led consultancy passionate about supporting SMEs who are changing the world for the better. They work with clients who require flexible marketing solutions for sustainable growth by providing consulting, training, project management, and specialist recruitment services to help businesses, B Corps, and nonprofits get more customers, grow brand equity, and increase market share. To find out more, visit thechangemakerscollective.com.au. And now, back to the show. But I, I think it's really important, yes, to understand what what do you need um, from a marketing person or a marketing professional and respect that their discipline is not graphic design, web building, you know, X, Y, Z. They are there for a specific purpose. And if you don't use them wisely, you're not going to get the results um, that you need. And that happens to all of us. You know, you start to focus on trying to deliver, you know, a piece of content and suddenly you're not focused or, or an event or something like that. And suddenly you're not focused on the actual marketing strategy part and you will see the impact of that. Um, so, yeah, I think it happens to a lot of, a lot of uh, marketers in big corporations and small business. No, it's a really interesting point. I like the point you make about the difference between content and content marketing because I think that you're right. Like, and then there's also content strategy, which I think is different again. You know, so, I mean, content's a funny word because really to, to me anyway, like I just think of it as information and like mm-hmm. businesses are full of information. Like where does the content go? Like what do you mean by content? Where content marketing, like you said, that's about having a marketing funnel or a content marketing funnel that it has content in various places designed to have a specific function to move people towards conversion, right? So that's a very different, that's a very, very different game to writing a piece of content or producing a piece of content for the sake of making content. So no, no, I think it's, I think it's really, really valid. And I I think it's interesting because what I've noticed, I don't know if you've found the same thing, but at the moment with, well, I mean, now we're sort of coming slowly, slowly starting to come out on the other side of this, this first wave of coronavirus anyway. And what we saw was a lot of brands kind of wanted to get their message out there but they actually, you know, felt like they couldn't because their conferences were closed, uh, you know, vendors couldn't necessarily operate or suppliers couldn't operate, uh, you know. So it's kind of like suddenly you're restricted with what you can do. And what I saw was two things. Either brands went super quiet uh, or they focused on a lot more on content marketing. I think I saw this more in the small business space as well, Um but I think it's kind of like I've seen a bit of a resurgence. Like, have you noticed that people are saying the words content marketing more than maybe there were like a couple of years ago? Definitely. I definitely more so. And I think it's because the, the power of content marketing is in the storytelling. So it's still, it's just, it's telling what, well, like when you do, um, you know, print ad or a promo or a TVC, whatever kind of marketing or an article, an advertorial piece, you're still trying to communicate something and content marketing is ultimately trying to communicate a message it's just through kind of storytelling um and i think particularly at a time like now uh where you know as humans it's we're really stressed out and you know we're in heightened states of emotion um there's a lot of pressure on us in different ways and we are looking for positive connection and um and things that will make us feel better and and stories uh brand stories that are positive and uplifting that make us feel better. So we want to engage with them. So I think that's why we're seeing a a bit of a return to content marketing because 
um, you know, consumers are expecting us to be good corporate citizens right now. They don't want to see brands focusing on the bottom line. They don't want brands to just be going about their business as usual. They want brands to show that they care what's going on. Um, so a response to that is, you know, you're still ultimately growing your brand or selling your product, whatever you're doing, but you're just doing that through storytelling, which kind of ticks the box of doing your job as a marketer, but also appeasing the consumer um, and letting them know that you hear them and you're listening. Um, but it can go wrong. I, I, you know, there's some stuff that I just think is super cliched. I think it's not authentic. You and I talk about, um, you know, the concept of brand promise and uh, authenticity around that and integrity around that. So I think if, you, if you're looking to engage in a content marketing campaign, just make sure that it's true and true to your brand and authentic and it's not a departure um, because I think that's when you can fall into the cliched kind of approach that, you know, in the end won't engage with anybody, um, which is kind of having the reverse effect of what content marketing exists to do. It's sort of like almost the way I think of it is like it's paying lip service to something instead of it actually Mm -hmm. being like, it's sort of that hot air. Yeah. You can say this stuff, but like, is that actually like, to me, I'm like, uh, you know, looking at, say, like in the travel industry, right, like I had a flight booked that, you know, got got cancelled because of coronavirus and, like, it was with Jetstar and Jetstar is not actually a brand that I usually <laughs> prefer. I don't mind Qantas. I don't know Jetstar is technically part of Qantas, but I've had some bad experiences. But then I got an email that was like, like, without me having to reach out or say anything, hey, we're going to refund this, this is a process, this is what you need to do, you'll get your money back. And I was like, oh, actually, I feel like that was quite a positive experience. Um, I'm, I've, they, I've suddenly had a, a positive interaction with them during this time that obviously people want to save money. People don't want to be spending unnecessary money on flights. They can't go on. So I was like, oh, to me that that's like a positive way to, to handle it. And it's relevant to what's happening. Like, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing. That's why they popped into my head. Cause I'm like, can't go traveling. This is directly relevant to the situation. And this is your response. that's having a positive impact on your customer where I don't know if you want to name brands or not, but there have been other brands that, like you say, have been particularly inauthentic. Um, And the one thing that I found that I was really – have a think about whether you want to name brands or not while I say this, but (laughs) I don't want to put you on the spot. But uh, I think we were talking about this as well, which is in the property space, there were some real estate agents that decided to go out with this message I for some reason thought this was appropriate to basically email their uh, tenants, you know, the tenants of their clients that they represent and say like, we expect you to keep paying your rent. If you've lost your job, go back to your employer and ask whether or not, you know, how long are they likely to be, a, will they give them their job back at some point? You know, like one questions that employers can't really answer as well. Mm-hmm. Two, it's sort of like rubbing salt in the wound. And three, it's like, this is right at the time when this is the worst thing to send someone, like everyone's just dealing with it. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, ah. I was reminded recently though that um, it is, and for me, like, and I totally, uh, when I heard this, um, I was watching a a session with Mark Ritson, um, who I'm a massive fan of, and he said, um, you know, we can't, like not verbatim, but he basically said, you know, unless you know what the data says, or what the brief was, um, or the insight around an ad, like you can't comment on whether it was good or not. You could think something's really crappy, you could think it's really inappropriate, but there could be 
um, an insight or some data that suggests that's the best way to talk to a customer in the real estate area. And who knows, a particular segment. But um, I think to your point, so I will not name and shame brands just because they could be like, I, but to, to be honest, like there was an ad I saw on YouTube. Um, I was watching something and a pre-roll came up and it was this big kind of emotional, um, you know, orchestra kind of music and it was going through the jungle and there were these cinematic, beautiful cinematic images and the product, I had to watch it because I just had to find out what product was being promoted. And when the, it got to the, the product, I started laughing. I thought, this is so ridiculous. And my partner thought it was ridiculous and we had a laugh. Two weeks later, that product was in my house. You know, so <laughs> And I, I questioned, like, why did you, why did you pick that? And it was just, it had um, created some kind of mental availability. Um, so that's the thing. Like, so I won't comment because I don't know what the data or the insight is. But I think you have an important point, and those who work with me um, hear me talk about this a lot. But contextual relevance is everything, right? Like, whether you're going out to the whole category with mass marketing, or whether you're going to a very specific segment contextual relevance is everything and that is something that I think um like if you look at the the brands that are kind of doing those socially distanced logos you know there's a few of them I look at that and I go well what's the context of that like yes we're, we're meant to be social distancing but what's what is it like what what is the next part of that what are you trying to tell me what are you trying to communicate here um you know, so I think, yes, there's context to things, but it's not relevant to me um, because it's not, there's no, it's not serving. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most. So you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash coke to save up to $20 on passes plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. Me any purpose, it's not telling me anything more. So, you know, I think when you're doing things, when you're writing your copy, when you're creating content, when you're creating messaging, whatever it is, um, that's firstly, is it saying something that's of importance and relevance to the the consumer but also when you're looking at where you're placing all of that content does that make sense and that comes back to like understanding your audience right like is the audience that you're talking to consuming media in this space and this is what you kind of see with social media everyone's like, put it put a social post out just put it on social do a social campaign it's like okay but do you know that the audience is there and if the audience is there um you know how are they consuming that media what are they there for um, you see this a lot with YouTube. Um, again, these kind of social and digital um, platforms that are amazing in generating really broad reach at really effective um, prices, but they, they're awareness building platforms, you know? So I often um, find myself in a situation where I might sign off a really big spend on YouTube, 
and no one bats an eyelid around um you know around the level of spend because it's reaching this many people yet i'll get questions around publicity um you know and all the work that's gone into this one um op and someone will say well well, hold on, who is that outlet reaching and how is that relevant to us? It's not relevant. Um, so there's a misunderstanding around platforms like digital and social and, um, you know, what they're doing. But in terms of the contextual relevance piece, it's like, yes, we need to, as a brand like Nickelodeon, we have to have our messaging on YouTube because that's where kids are. But the contextual relevance piece comes in by saying, cool, we're not asking you to do anything. We just want you to see this piece of content. Um, you know, so again, it's about the content and the messaging and everything you you're creating but also the environment that you're creating um you're putting all of that stuff into so contextual relevance is number one it's of the utmost yeah, yeah I, I think that's a really good point with like the the argument i see pop up a lot in like sort of the small business space and do you know what i just realized as an aside is like we're doing the other show we discussed doing which is about small and large like large business approach to marketing so i'm just combining everything and picking your brain as much as i can while i got your cat <laughs> it was in the back of my head <laughs> well i mean they're not they're not that different small and large business they're really not and you know it can be deceiving like big brand doesn't mean big budget um you know and I think that's the trap that you can fall into um is that uh particularly if you're looking around and you're comparing your business to everybody else like you don't know what's going on on the inside of that business you know you don't like it's you know never judge a book by its cover so I and and from the inside of a a bigger company I look at um businesses business owners and I think god I'm facing the same issue here like I'm having to be an entrepreneur within my own company because you know we we are diversifying um in terms of what we need to deliver we don't have you know budgets that can satisfy every single thing that we want to do the audience is changing there's innovation there's people doing new things that we have to keep up with so um yeah they're very they're similar they're more similar than what I think a lot of people would realize um being in a big company and being in startup or your own business no it's it's a good point I think like the thing that's like probably like well for me I'm like oh but we don't have the money but the thing is is like you also have to work within budget constraints like just because it's not like you can spend your budget wherever you want right like it's even if you have a bigger budget doesn't necessarily mean that you can use it for the things that you know, we're kind of, we are in the same boat, I think in some ways as well. And I'm sure some people might be like, Lauren, what are you talking about? Like, I wish I had a marketing budget. I don't even have a marketing budget. (laughs) We also have to, our our budget and the way we spend budget is probably much more scrutinized. If you own your own business, you can spend your your money however you like. Um, Where, you know, big business have to appease boards of directors and commercial clients and partners and affiliates and all that kind of stuff. you know, and then when you look at a, a bigger brand as well, you're talking to a bigger audience. So it's all about proportion too. You know, like the budget that you're designated in a big company is probably having to work um, to reach a bigger audience. So again, in proportion to what you're trying to achieve, um, it's probably similar to uh, a lot of small business. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the way that we have to spend our, our budget. Um, and that can be really frustrating, um, you know, particularly as we talk about, um, you know, the marketing tactics that are most effective, you don't always have the freedom. And, and it's probably true of small business if you're, um, you know, if you don't have the funds to do it. And in big business, if you've got other constraints, 
you don't always have the freedom um, to spend the money that the way that you should or the way you think you should, um, which can be frustrating, but that's just the way, you know, business is. And um, that's what the important thing to be uh, is adaptable and flexible, um, you know, kind of always anticipate change, always anticipate something going wrong because that will keep you primed to be able to adapt and pivot. And I think that's what, co you know, COVID has kind of taught us is that um, you need to be ready for anything at any time and you can pivot and everything will be okay. You know, you spoke earlier around the rise of experiential. Um, you know, we, so much of our marketing plan at the start of this year was like experiential marketing and, um, you know, tours and, and talent tours and activations and events. And, um, you know, I, we can't, obviously we can't do that stuff and we had to pivot, but, what the result of that was was really focused marketing work you know we've got we're limited in our media options um but it meant that actually we were maximizing the platforms that we were on and we achieved huge results probably better than what we would have um, achieved otherwise so um being able to pivot and looking opportunistically at the uncertain times is always going to make you stronger and more effective whether you've got budget or you don't um you know, so it's just about being adaptable and looking for um, the opportunity in the the change, I guess. It's sort of like sometimes I feel like the most exciting briefs, and I say this to new clients sometimes or people that I, I might be working with and, you know, they might be a bit worried about costs and things like that. I'm like, look, to be honest with you, I actually love a brief that's like we don't have a lot of funds because I'm like, for me, then I'm like, well, how do we get creative about this? How do we growth hack this? Can we use your network? Can we do like an organic content marketing campaign? Like some of the most effective things I've seen happen have not been through advertising, you know, which might sound a little bit crazy. No, but if you look at, um, you know, partnership, whether it's with a, a talent or an influencer or another brand or um, a media outlet, what your um earning there is endorsement and we know word of mouth of everything that we do word of mouth is the strongest form of marketing so what you're earning there is invaluable the endorsement of a trusted voice the endorsement of a brand that's already in a category and respected that's way more um salient than an advertising campaign ever will be you know which is why you see influence the rise of influences um you know growing at the rate it's growing because it's word of mouth and it's endorsement so you know, and some of the best work that I've done in my career has been budgetless, you know, stuff that we, you just can't get approved by the management team because it's so irrelevant seemingly to whatever we're meant to be doing, um, which is the downfall of creative marketers. Um, but some of the best work has come from being entrepreneurial in our approach and going, you know what? We don't, we can't spend any money on this right now. That's not the, the wise thing to do. How are we going to make it happen? And it's amazing what you can achieve um, as a result. The other thing I would say to that is, um, you know, never be afraid to contra your media. Like look, look at your toolkit and your assets and go, right, what do I have that's of value to somebody else? Because if you can swap a post on each other's platforms if you could do if you could do a little bit of content creation for someone and in return they'll give you a post on their broad reaching platform like don't be afraid to exchange value in other ways it's not always about um the monetary stuff and 
you know, I think generally you'll get a more authentic um, engagement from a partnership versus a paid campaign or paid paid work because it feels real and you can feel the passion come through in those kind of um, organic partnerships. So it's a, it's a good point. So I realised that we're 30 minutes in and I haven't actually asked you what I said I was going to ask you about. So we've got to get on to that. I could keep talking to you about this for a very long time. You know that. <laughs> yeah I think we we might need to do that at some point (laughs) so um what I want to ask you about is this you know that there was this uh I think it was a peer-reviewed publication uh of the long and short of it is that right that's what the article's called um and I can't remember can you actually explain a little bit about the article because I cannot remember the authors or or anything like the actual study itself yeah so it was done by um these they're called the um godfathers of effectiveness and marketers um uh Burnett and field and basically what they were looking into was um you know there's long since been this debate around um short-term activation campaigns so that's kind of the direct response campaigns or campaigns that um are asking you to do something buy a product etc versus long-term brand building and the effectiveness basically of both um, approaches. And what they kind of discovered was um, in the long-term brand building activity, which is any activity that's kind of building awareness or affinity for your brand, in the long-term exponentially way more powerful in growing market share or or, um, achieving growth. And versus, um, you know, short-term activation campaigns, which are kind of pulsed activity, um, which look like they're generating greater results because you kind of, if you spend money promoting a particular product, you will see purchase of that product spike naturally. But then when you're not spending against that, it the kind of the activity goes away. Um, and so what they ultimately found was for peak effectiveness, um brand building activity and short-term kind of activation campaigns need to work together and it should be roughly at a 60 40 split so making sure that you've got 60 percent of your budget or your efforts committed to telling your brand story and building affinity for your brand and awareness among the whole category generally through um, like mass marketing and, and awareness tools um, looking to build an emotional connection or a relationship with your customer um, but at the same time, dedicating 40% of your budget and your efforts to driving product sales or, or short-term transactions. Um, and that was what the, the basically their research indicated was that um, we should be doing both, not just one or the other. Um, and 60-40 split is the optimal kind of way to partner them. They also found that, um, you know, in terms of brand building, what we tend to do is assess brand building kind of activity against short-term activity with very kind of tight parameters, like time parameters. And if you look at the two together in a very short period of time, less than six months is what they say, of course, it looks like short-term work is generating greater ROI. We need to look long-term. We need to look 12 months out. We need to compare activity um, on a a longer-term basis because that's when you see the effects of of brand building. So yeah, that's ultimately what it was about, the effectiveness of, brand building, its importance in your strategy, and then how to split your time and budget between the two um, to achieve kind of the the maximum profitability and results. I think it's like, it's such an important point for, for 
brands big and small to be aware of here because, I mean, what I see in the small business world, and you can tell me if it's the same uh, bigger business-wise, is that there is way too much of an overemphasis on that short-term game and Mm -hmm. also this misunderstanding of exactly what you said before, like how to interpret the data. So, but look, we Mm -hmm. saw this, we did this, and then one week later we saw sales increase, therefore this is the most effective. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well... Yeah, that I mean, the example I always give is sort of like the negative of this, which is like that's kind of like smoking for a day and then saying, well, I didn't get cancer after a week, therefore smoking doesn't cause lung cancer, even though we say, yeah, yeah, but we've got lots of data that over a period of time this is what happens. And it's kind of what you're saying, the same thing with the, this paper, right, is saying that, yeah, but we know that over time, time and time again, we're seeing this, this happen long term. Totally. And the thing is, like, you know, when you're when you're engaging in that kind of short term activity, you're having to work firstly having to work twice as hard because you're going to a very specific segment with a very specific message. Um, you know, for me, it might be going we want to promote a new season of SpongeBob. OK, we're going to kids five to 12 who have Foxtel, who live in metro areas, eastern seaboard, have an affinity for cartoons. But that's a very specific segment. And you know, it may work in terms of converting that audience to watching those new episodes, but the next time I need to generate some kind of result, I'm going to have to go out and find that audience again. I'm going to have to pay it. There could be overlap, so then you run the risk of fatiguing the audience um, and disengaging. You're spending money. You're wait. There's wastage in the way you're spending your money because you're hitting the same audience with the same message but kind of different. So um, you're having to work twice as hard. It's not as effective. And in the long term, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You end up being really, really busy. You don't think strategically and you just, you tend to do, it's, um, you tend to be very complacent, you go to the same media environment, with the same kind of messaging, the same kind of content. Customers will disengage. Um, and I think when you look at uh, like long-term brand building, it's about Telling the story, it's um, brand building is generally led by some kind of insight or data, and it's about looking at the data. In you know, be really honest with the data. I see a lot of people interpret data. Go, oh yeah, I read that one stat. That's it. I'm going to go out and run my my comms like that. And it's like, no, be really ruthless with the data. Interpret it correctly, and you'd be amazed at what you can get out of one little insight. And brand building, the example I always um, refer to when I'm talking about when I talk about brand building is Dove and their real beauty campaign. That campaign, which a lot of us know, it was all those women. Well, the most iconic um, execution was all the women um, with normal bodies in their underwear on a billboard. Um, that real beauty campaign had a few different iterations, but it was born out of this insight that said women actually felt way worse. Um, after reading beauty magazines and the beauty industry was setting unrealistic expectations around what real beauty was and it was making women feel really bad about themselves and Dove kind of said we're going to redefine beauty and we're going to reshape the way that we think about beauty and so they launched this campaign that was over you know five or six years and there was the grey or gorgeous, there was those kind of women um, in their uh, underwear, there was a Photoshop um, element where they showed exactly what happens um, from like the start to the finish of a, a, an ad campaign. Um, and that went on for years and years. And um, halfway through that campaign, yes, they saw results. And, and all along, um, 
the way they were still promoting their soaps and their moisturizers, etc. Um, but uh, throughout the kind of brand building campaign, they freaked out, they stopped the brand building activity and they saw their sales decline. So they reintroduced it with a new iteration. And what that's doing, what that activity is doing, it's building an emotional connection. And when you can, when you have a customer that's connected to your brand and has affinity for your brand, likes your brand, they will be a better customer. They will stick around longer. They'll be less sensitive to pricing. So they will likely pay um, full price for your your product um, in respect if they're likely to engage more with your brand so you can optimize them and upsell them versus someone who's just coming in because you've persuaded them through an advertising campaign. Um, you know, so it's really important to consider the data that's driving um, both strategies and also and like why you're doing both things. You know, it's really important to think about those um, those things as well, because I think if you focus too much on the short term, you know, ultimately you're capping your potential to maximize profitability. You're capping your potential to grow. Um, and we know that if you can increase your sales base or your customer base, you're going to be more profitable um, than if you were to never spend it all or cut decrease costs. Um, so it's, you know, it's important activity that I think we often, we misconceive, we misunderstand. Um, it's difficult to articulate and showcase success without, you know, giving it time. Uh, so often we don't do it. Well, like you said, I think you you said it was what it was a six year campaign for Dell. Yeah, yeah, and, maybe longer. And then they saw started seeing results. Do you know when they actually started seeing results from the? Um, I think it was prior to six years. And um, they have seen results, but they, um, I don't know the exact timings, but they did stop the brand building activity because it's its also typically expensive. That's where you're buying mass marketing. Um, so it's not unusual to have a freak out, oh my God, we've invested all this money. Um, but they did, um, I can follow up with you with data and um, insights, but they reactivated the brand building campaign because they saw sales go backwards. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I think like, I mean, the, the way I always think of this, you know, you mentioned mental availability forum for people who maybe haven't heard that term. We're kind of talking about how, like, it's almost like the real estate in someone's head, right? It's sort of like, do people, when they see your logo or when they see a creative from you, do they know that it's you and do they associate it with your product or the, the things that you also make them feel, right? Like, because I think one thing that I often talk about with uh, people, you know, when I'm when I'm sort of a guest and we're talking about, say, like customer insights and stuff is like, I'm like, people want to feel like at the end of the day, like everyone wants to feel good. Um, so when you said that thing about like, you know, women feeling bad after seeing these ads, like it's it's sort of like in hindsight, it seems like so obvious that that would be an issue. But I imagine there's a lot of brands out there that have that kind of information they're not using it like do you see a lot of people neglect maybe maybe this is more in the b2b space but neglect that kind of importance of making the emotional connection i see a lot of brands making assumptions on behalf of their consumer i see a lot of brands operating from a place of egocentricity and i think you know um when you look at brands that are telling you what you should feel or see or do and marketing is an education tool, I think that's when you're going wrong. Um, we, you know, brands make assumptions based on loose data and loose insights or no data and information and research at all. Like you would be surprised to think at how many um, companies don't use research and insights, but uh, I, I see a lot of 
assumptions being made and we all do it you know it's like we're all we're all guilty of doing it um it's that classic like you know oh they'll love this I, the best i always refer to a time when um i launched a, a campaign early on in my career at nickelodeon and i was super impressed and i showed your younger brother who was the the kind of core consumer at the time and he told me it was stupid and we were <laughs> We were watching promo on air and I was like, this is great. He's going to love it. And he told me, I think that's stupid. Again, because I had assumed um, that the audience would find it funny. It's good. It was a, a hard lesson, but an important one. And I think my brother was just saying it to annoy you though. <laughs> but he was right. And um, I think that's the thing that we do. You know, we make a lot of assumptions and we're very led by um our ego and like what we want. And I think it's important to start with your customer and, and listen to them, whether it's, you know, having two way conversation and reflecting back, you know, whatever they're telling you or allowing them to engage or whatever it is, you know, creating um, product of insight or, or messaging of insights. It's really important not to make assumptions. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think that like assumption testing and, it, you know, it's the same for me, like, I think there's been so many times that I have, even though I am very like, we've got to be data driven and we can't make assumptions. We all make assumptions. Like I don't think anyone needs to feel too bad about that. I certainly have made so many assumptions over, (laughs) over the course of the last decade, (laughs) but like being able to, I mean, I think that's why it's good to kind of have that, you know, pilot program approach where it's like, if you're doing something new in market, kind of have a way to test things out and look at responses that might not be product-based but are telling you whether people like what they're seeing. So are they watching the content? Are they uh, liking the content? Are they sharing content, for instance, instead of just looking at, well, how many sales do we make? Because I've talked to marketers who have literally said, we'll know the marketing's working if the phone rings. And I was like... Dangerous. thing is as well like you need to it's like quant and qual data is they're just as important as each other and this is where um you know I think digital platforms kind of let us down because they present it's like you know digital and social media um it's the first time you can see results like you know it's not the ad rep telling you this is how many people you reached or how many people watch tv or the circulation of a magazine you've got data there that you can look at but the problem with that is we become so obsessed with that data and views and, and impressions and all this kind of stuff, you forget that you're talking to people and you need context for why someone is doing something. If Okay, great, campaign worked really well. We had 50% engagement. Why? Why did they engage with that? You know, if you've got, if you're looking at a, a TVC or a commercial or a promo or whatever, there's so many things within a 30-second commercial that could have been the reason someone consumed the product. How do you know what it is? You have to ask the why. And I think when you've got people that are going, okay, well, this, this, and again, don't feel bad because we all do it. I've done it. You know, we repeat a campaign or recycle a campaign going, great, it worked really well the first time because um, we don't really know why, but it works. So we'll just roll it out exactly the same way. And then it bombs, you know, and it's like, well, because we don't know why it worked in the first place. So testing is super important. Um, you know, and getting that feedback from your customers and yeah, not just the numbers, get the the commentary, get the words. This is why I thought it was great. This is why I want to consume your brand. This is why I don't want to consume your brand. Um, and don't be afraid of, 
of negative feedback, you know, as a big brand, you're kind of at the forefront of everyone's thoughts and opinions. And, you know, you're never going to please everybody. Um, but you, there's also insight in the negative commentary as well that you can learn from. Um, so be open to any any opinion. You know what I've noticed? I, like over the past, so I'm coming up to my fourth year in business and, you know, starting to have a bit of like brand equity, I would say like I'm still very, very early on in that space. Mm -hmm. But even with having a little bit more brand equity, I can see that my negative feedbacks have gone up. People mm -hmm. have also felt like it's appropriate to sort of talk a little bit differently. Like they'll either, one, they'll either be nice and excited and talk like they already know me, which is great. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. But they'll also be like, just like really direct, like can't read this text. You know, not like, mm -hmm. hey, how's it? And I'm like, and then, I, you know, I'll reply and they're like, thanks so much for getting back to me. Because I'll like be like, thanks for the feedback. I'm like, oh, okay, like this is just how negative feedback works. <laughs> it's been intimidating. <laughs> yeah, but it's more accessible. It's easier now to tell a company how you think. Like, I, you know, growing up, I would never have thought to write to a company like Nickelodeon. I just would never, I would just, oh, my God, Nickelodeon. You know, we have a, like, we get so much customer feedback some of it's really, you know, polite and other other times it's really direct, but it's accessible now. Brands are, and companies are accessible. Feedback is um, is easier than ever. And I think, you know, it's about like, yeah, if someone didn't like the text, go ask them why. Like be brave in that, um, in, that in accepting that feedback, you know, because not everyone's going to like your brand. And that's, there's, there's no point in worrying about that. But if there's something that you can learn from that feedback that's going to improve the experience for the people that do like your brand, you don't want to miss out on that. Yeah. And it's sort of like, I mean, also like maybe it's a good sign. If you're getting negative feedback, it also means that as long as there's positive as well, I'm not saying like all negative feedback, but if you're getting some negative feedback and lots of positive feedback, it probably also means more people are aware of you, right? Like if you're not, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, getting, you're being noticed and your people are engaging and paying attention. Like, don't forget, that's still engagement. Um, someone's watched or read or consumed the content that you've put out there and decided to have an opinion. That's a valuable customer. That's a valuable piece of information. Um, but, yeah, it means you're getting noticed and it means that you're, you're out there, you're reaching more people. Um, so, it's yeah, it's not a bad, a bad thing all the time. <laughs> Kat, this has been so much fun. I love speaking with you. Thanks so much for talking to me also on a Friday afternoon, which is not even usually a time that I do LinkedIn lives. But I was like, we have to do this this week. I'm so excited. Um, if people want to find out more about you, I know like you, you comment in the media, you speak at events, like you are, you know, an amazing marketing expert as well. Uh, I always love our like informal chats about marketing, but you know, you, you do, you do speak and you do comment. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do it? Would it be to reach out to you on LinkedIn? For sure. And I love, um, love to chat. I love to hear people's thoughts and opinions. Um, I, yeah, reach out, say hello. I'm, I'm always around. I've got plenty of time right now. So <laughs> I'm available for a coffee. <laughs> Kat, thanks so much again. It's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, everyone. See you. Happy Friday. <laughs> Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked.
Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today.